It's time for Security Now, our 400th episode. Let's celebrate with Steve. Talk about Java. (laughs) Yes, there's another update. Talk about security and a little intro to VPN systems. It's all coming up next on Security Now. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for security now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for security now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 400, recorded April 17th, 2013, VPN Solutions. Security Now is brought to you by ProXPN. ProXPN is a virtual private network that allows you to use the Internet the way you want to, anonymously, securely, without oversight. For 20% off your new account, go to ProXPN.com slash twit and use the offer code SN20. And by GoToAssist from Citrix. Take control of your IT world from one simple cloud-based platform. Provide live or unattended support for all your users anywhere. Sign up for your 30-day free trial today. Visit GoToAssist.com and use the offer code SECURITY. And by Rackspace, the open cloud company. At Rackspace, build what you want, where you want, how you want it, all backed by their world-renowned fanatical support. Try it today. Download the open cloud at rackspace.com slash open. It's time for Security Now, the show that protects you, your loved ones, and your privacy online. And it's all thanks to this man here, the explainer-in-chief Steve Gibson of GRC.com. Steve joins us every week. Hi, Steve. Hey, Leo. Great to be with you again, as always, for the big 400 episode. What? Yeah. 400 weeks we've been doing Celebrate this. Celebrate good times. I think I'm going to light you, up you've a, been here for, a cigar. You've been here for most of those, yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, if you're listening, John, uh, I mean, Paul, Paul Mentesides, or Mentesides, who sent me this contraband, uh, I'm very happy. I'm a happy, happy Cuban, man. Cuban contraband. Cohiba Bahike from Habana. Wow. Cohiba Bahike es la máxima expresión en sabor y aromas del Habano. It smells like Havana is what they just said. So that's good. All right. And also, did you know, Steve, that not only is this the 400th episode, but it is also the 8th anniversary of the launch of the Twit Network. Oh. <gasps> No kidding. Uh, April 17th, 2005, our very first Twit episode aired. Wow. The one that I recorded at the bar at the 21st <laughs> Amendment Brew Pub. I remember that. Yeah, yes. with Kevin and Patrick and yeah. uh, Prager and uh, Patrick's wife. And that was the first Twit, Twit Zero. We actually didn't even have a name for it at the time. We called it the Revenge of the Screensavers, I think. So uh, Dane Atkinson's here, who is a wonderful friend of the uh, show, um, he used to be at Squarespace. He has a new company, which is going to be advertising soon, called Sumall. And he brought me a lovely Poyac. Actually, he brought us a uh, a couple of Bordeaux. And, um, wow. You like, I know you're a, a, a Burgundy fan, Cabernet fan. 
Yep. But you must like Bordeaux. Uh, yeah. They're, yeah. Yeah. They're maybe a little lighter than the big heavy reds you like, but boy, these are good. Right. And then also a Malbec, which I'm sure you like Malbecs. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I've got John speak of that also. From Argentina, yeah. yeah. So thank you, Dane. Thank you, uh, Paul, who sent me these cigars. Didn't know it was going to be our fifth anniversary. And congratulations to you for your 400th episode. Wow. Eighth anniversary, correct me. Thank you. Eighth anniversary. Oh, wow. Yeah. All of that. Now, today, what are we going to do? We, I want to talk about... Um, sort of revisit the question of virtual private networks. Um, VPNs is was a topic that we covered extensively. Speaking of nostalgia and the birth of of twit things, um, episode number fourteen, the fourteenth week we were doing this was the topic was virtual private network theory. Fifteen was VPN secure tunneling solutions. Then we had our very first listener feedback episode ever on episode number 16. And then I continued with episode 17 was on, and we had fun with these acronyms. I remember we, we, were, we, were, <laughs> we were tripping our tongues with PPTP and L2TP and IPsec and so forth. So that was episode 17. And then we introduced the world to Hamachi. Oh, yeah. And actually, you know, I mean, this was a huge deal. We, we, and episode 18 was called Hamachi Rocks. And and I remember that uh, Dave's wife was giving him a hard time. Dave was the creator of Hamachi. And she was like, oh, okay, you rock. And he's like, oh, okay, well, yeah. And then uh, 19, episode 19 was VPNs 3, where we talked about Hamachi, one that uh, that had surfaced called IPIG. Un- unfortunately named, uh, and then all open <laughs> VPN. And so, so this, I chose this week to look back to sort of just sort of take a, a snapshot of where we are. Um, there's been some, of course, I've mentioned my interest in developing something because I felt that there was a need, yet I was put off by, you know, this continual grumbling in law enforcement about, you know, they're not being sure that they feel good about not being able to decrypt things on the Internet. But this also this also connects with the Twit Network having a new sponsor, which will be which you'll be talking about in the middle of the show, uh, a company called Pro XPN. I've had a chance. I was told about a month ago that this was going to happen. I told the guys in our news group, uh, the GRC news groups about it, and they've all been playing and have nothing but good things to say. Uh, I've had a chance to do some some reconnaissance, and I'm very pleased that we have somebody. I mean, to me, I think this is a perfect marriage of the show and a sponsorship and one that from everything I've seen just looks like something we can in very in fully good faith recommend to our listeners good so i wanted to sort of like we haven't talked about vpns almost at all since back then you know episodes 14 through 18 so um i wanted to sort of do that there's been evolution in a in one important area which is in the development of the flashable routers with you know DDWRT and the Tomato firmware, both which support OpenVPN, and this new sponsor of ours, ProXPN, is an OpenVPN solution provider. So 
it all really fits together synergistically. Good. Good, um, good, good. And, of course, this also ties in with the, the, the worry that people have had that um, their local networks may be spying on them. Remember, I introduced this notion of certificate fingerprints two weeks ago. We're more than 40,000 people have availed themselves of that, about more than 2,000 a day now, this new service at GRC. And one way to thwart that kind of spying, if it's a concern, is actually the way to thwart it is with a VPN. So everything kind of all comes together here. So I'm, I'm really glad. And, of course, we have a crazy week of news. Busy, busy, busy. I love that. Before we uh, go too much farther, uh, let's talk about GoToAssist. We'll save ProVPN for a little bit uh, later in the show. Uh, ProXPN, I should say. Right. ProXPN VPN. <laughs> but first, let me talk. Uh, here we go. All right. Well, we'll talk about it in a second. You'll explain it. Before we do that, let's talk a little bit about our friends at Citrix, the folks who do, you know, so many great programs we talk about all the time. Go to my PC, go to webinar, and go to meeting. Uh, Go to Assist Podio. Let's talk about Go to Assist because I know a lot of you uh, who listen to this show are IT professionals, or at least, at the very least, you do support for for people in your families, for your company. Uh, Go to Assist is an amazing tool. Now, uh, it, of course, we talked about before the remote access features of Go to Assist, and it is the number one uh, remote access tool used worldwide, and has been for some time. They're just celebrating now their tenth anniversary. But it's gotten so much more than just remote access. And I think one of the things we want to talk a little bit about is some of the new modules they've added to GoToAssist. Uh, there's the remote support module. Let me load it up at GoToAssist.com, by the way. The remote support module lets you do live support to PCs, Macs, and mobile devices, which is awfully cool. You can access and control unattended computers. You can centrally manage tech teams and accounts. You could go mobile, too. You can do support from iPad and Android devices. But now they have a service desk, which lets you manage, of course, and you know tickets, so you can manage, track, and resolve issues, but also is very handy for change, release, and configuration management, for building a beautiful branded self-service portal for your clients. You could start remote sessions from the tickets directly. That is awesome. Just imagine how this is going to change your business. If you want to become a managed service provider, this is the way to do it. And then the third module, which we have talked about a little bit before, monitoring, lets you monitor server health and performance, inventory, everything, including software on your client's network, track network usage patterns, and set up alerts via SMS, text, instant messenger, email, so that you know what's going on with your system, and you can proactively fix a problem before it becomes a bigger problem. I just think these are really fantastic tools. And I've got a way you can try all three of them free for a month. Now, that is a good deal. All three modules available to you right now when you visit gotoassist.com. And you'll see try it free, a blue button there for a 30-day trial. We do ask you to enter our offer code so that uh, we get credit for it. S and Make sure you check all three modules too, right? And then use the where it says promo code, question mark, click that. And type SN20. No, I'm sorry. That's wrong. <laughs> Just security. That's another offer code. S-E-C-U-R-I-T-Y. Promo code security. And we will get credit for that. Steve will get credit for that. And that's just a nice way to, to thank Steve for the show. 
Go to assist.com, use the promo code security, and your thank you is 30 days free of go to assist. I think you'll be very impressed. So I noticed I had a Java update again. <laughs> what? Well, yeah. Uh, now, remember is this the last a regular week? update? Yeah, last week we told our listeners to expect something on Tuesday. We had the, the, the standard second Tuesday of the month update from Microsoft. And by the way, that was a catastrophe yeah. uh, we'll be, we'll, because they, it turns yeah. out that one of the patches was causing blue screens of death yep. for, for users of Windows 7 and some third-party software that like was... Kaspersky, mostly Kaspersky, right? Yeah, and, I, and there seemed to be some Brazilian connection, too. I don't huh. think it had anything to do with your cigars, but <laughs> it was... So somehow it was, um, you know, reports from Brazil for some reason. So it was uh, uh, Kaspersky's AV that was for some reason colliding, but enough people had it that Microsoft removed the link and withdrew it in order to figure out what it was that was going on. And so this, I, I can't really fault Microsoft. I mean, this was something would have been better to know about before, but, you know, interaction with a few vendors software is you know if it's a uh if if the vendor's software like what Kaspersky's done with their AV tool is to be very intrusive that is like hook their you know sink their hooks deep into the system in order to monitor things for example this is just sort of tangential but related uh people were complaining that their SSL certificates were not matching when they were using Kaspersky's AV. It turns out Kaspersky installs a certificate authority and intercepts secure communications on the client machine. So you you I mean it's doing that kind of traffic inspection for I mean on behalf of the user, but that breaks SSL validation, which is really not good. For example, you're no longer going to see any of your uh, enhanced, uh, you know, uh, the extended validation uh, EV certificates. Those all get lost because you've got essentially you've stuck an HTTPS proxy in your computer. But, you know, so so that, that that's an example of how deeply this thing is sinking its hooks into people's computers. And so, you know, you really can't fault Microsoft for 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 doing something deeply, which which in some ways conflicting with some assumptions that third-party software made. Uh, I would really blame it more on third-party software not being compatible. So anyway, they pulled that back and, uh, and warned people uh, to uninstall it if they hadn't, or not to install it if they hadn't installed it, but even to uninstall it if they had just to be safe. Uh, what I heard from many people was this didn't come out for a day or two afterwards. They had already installed the patch, being, you know, responsible patchers, and everything was fine. So, you know, for, for those where it didn't cause a problem, it's probably not going to cause a problem, but it certainly uh, was a surprise for some people. But what happened with Java was big news. Um, and, and last week we said, expect an update from Oracle on Tuesday, which was yesterday, uh, April 16th. Um, my favorite headline i i termed the oxymoronic headline of the week and this was the reuters coverage of this reuters news service they said and i love this 
Oracle fixes 42 holes in Java to revive security confidence. It's like, what? You know, I, I feel it. better. 32? Yeah, 42. 42? 42 holes, yes. And and then it gets worse because the <laughs> executive the executive vice president Hazan uh, Rizvi he says he was quoted in this article saying the patch fixes forty two vulnerabilities within Java, including quote the vast majority, which is to say not all the vast majority of those that have been rated as the most critical. Why almost all of them? Yeah. He says the company specifically states that the 39 called out <laughs> bugs may be exploited uh-huh. over network without the need for a username and password. And then, unfortunately, he says, although not all known problems are being fixed with the current patch of 42, there are no unpatched problems that are being actively exploited. Well, so there goodness. are unpatched problems. Yes. There are problems we know about, but no one's gotten around to exploiting them yet. So we've fixed the 42, 39 of which were being remotely exploited and required no username and password. So all of this is a nightmare, except that they finally made a change proactively. Now, some time ago, they added a checkbox on the, the you know, in the Java security settings panel that people could uncheck to disable Java in the browser. And so that was a good move. What they've done now is they have added checking for signed Java applets, which is a really nice move forward. Now, you could argue, and I'm sure people will, that it's not difficult to sign a Java applet. However, to have a to have a correctly signed applet, it's very much like having a correct security certificate on a website. That is, you need a secure a certificate authority like a VeriSign or a DigiCert, one of those guys, or unfortunately the Hong Kong Post Office, um, but somebody that your browser knows and trusts, signs the, the certificate, which is then used to digitally sign the Java applet. So, so, you know, this is very much like drivers now in Windows need to be digitally signed. You just can't have a random driver that Windows will install. We've, we've said no more. That was, that, there was too much exploitation of that going on. That's not okay anymore. So... Finally, um, Oracle has added the same technology, very much like what Microsoft calls Authenticode. You know, the, the apps that I've been publishing recently are all Authenticode signed just because it's the right thing to do. You want people to be able to verify. Essentially, the operating system is able to verify the identity of the signer. Now... There are different levels of signing. That is, you could have a self-signed certificate rather than a 
a CA, a Certificate Authority Signed Certificate. So you'll get a dialog box. There's, there's a number of different dialog boxes that Oracle pops up. Depending upon sort of the, the, the degree of trust that, that it's able to ascertain the applet has. So you can force it past an unsigned applet, but you get now a new dialogue, and that's the key. There's, you actually get a pop-up presentation from, from, from Java itself saying, this is what we know about the applet you are trying to run. Now, that's, that's huge because it used to be, I mean, it was day before yesterday, 39 different problems in Java could be exploited with, with no user intervention, making them critical. So no user intervention is gone because of this change that Oracle has finally made to Java. So this is really, really big. Um, in fact, Kaspersky um, looked at the statistics and said that Java was the vehicle for 50% of all cyber attacks last year in which hackers broke into computers by exploiting software bugs. And that 50% was followed by Adobe Reader, um, which was involved in 28% of these incidents. And then he's, and then Kaspersky says, to give us some more perspective, Microsoft Windows and IE were involved in about 3%. So that really shows you how this terrain has shifted. Four years ago, it was all IE. I That's mean, a huge I, difference. I, it's amazing. It is four yes. percent. Yeah, three. Remember, so so there's been a dramatic change as the browser has really been made vastly more secure. I mean, this is it takes Microsoft a long time to get there, but they did, and we could argue too. It's taken Oracle a long time to get here, but they've made a big change. So um, one thing that our listeners can do, I have a an unsigned Java applet. It's safe. It's benign. Uh, it's my big number calculator that I put up on GRC. It's under the other menu at uh, in our GRC, in GRC's main menu, other and then big number calculator. I use it to you know, because I want to know what two, the exact number that two to the 128th power is for for cipher stuff and crypto things. It's very handy for calculating ridiculously large numbers that just makes my little HP calculators, you know, smoke. Um, so but it's written in Java. It's written in Java. Uh, so it is cross-platform, cross-browser, which is the reason anyone writes in Java is to have cross-platform compatibility. The point is that it is a perfect example of an unsigned applet. So you can go to GRC's, the, under the other menu, Big Number Calculator, and see what happens after you update Java. And you can see it will invoke this dialogue saying, whoa, hold on, wait a second, this applet that you're wanting to run is not trusted. Of course, now, of course I don't I have Java installed, so I just get missing plug-in. I was just going to say, 
I tried all of this yesterday, and I got what you really want to get, yes. <laughs> which is there's no plugin available to do anything with what it is you're trying to do. That's really that's even the, safer. <laughs> that's really what you want. Yeah. So actually, I had to for because Safari also updated 6.0.4. We'll talk about that in a second. But so in order to experience that, I w I was forced to install Java on a on a MacBook and and update Safari because I wanted to see what all of what Apple had also done, um, which was coincident with this. Um, and you know, so but I started off the same way, Leo. Oh, you, you know this this you know requires a plugin that you don't have in order to go. It's like, yes, that's that's really the result that you want. So anyway, this is this will end up being huge. Um it is the it is the fact that browsers would silently invoke Java behind users back that was the problem. And and Oracle kept having that checkbox on for browser the browser plugin by default and when you install java it installs the plugin so that we were just going around in circles now it is still a problem that there is a lot of old java remember that we showed last week that pie chart which was really disturbing with how okay. much yeah. old java there still is and the old java had no up auto update facility so the old java is staying old and it is staying in people's browsers who don't know any better and so you know this 50% isn't going to go down to 3 like ie has anytime soon there just isn't a way to get those old ones fixed um you know i mean the only thing you could do would be to to have a site of uh, that used java to fix old Java, but then people would have to go there to get fixed, and they're not going to a, a fix-it site. So, there, I mean, there just isn't a... I don't know how you do this, except to, as I have said, for browsers to take responsibility, but they're also using old browsers. So these are just systems that are never being updated. They're old, and they're just going to be a problem until they <laughs> they collapse of their own age, Sigh. I suppose. Hey, can yeah, I ask so, you a security? Oh, go ahead, finish. And I'm going to ask you when when it's appropriate a security question. Ah, yeah. Well, this is the right podcast for that. <laughs> You're the right guy, right? <laughs> uh, so, Apple also updated Safari and did something wonderful. They gave us the sort of the equivalent of no scripts per site blocking of Java. Now, that's not JavaScript. Java in natively in Safari. So Safari now has a site-by-site -site permission Java applet execution facility. When you, when you do something with Java, and again, you can use GRC site as, as an example, as a test uh, bed, you're able to, you, it brings up a, a dialogue that is Safari itself does, saying, Hi there. Um, you wanted to run Java. Uh, you know, okay, here's what we know about it. And, you know, do you want to run it this time only? Do you, and there's checkboxes for, you know, don't ever bother me on this site again. So, so this allows corporate users who have to have Java enabled to, and assuming they're also Mac 
corporate users using Safari to to permit Java on their own corporate intranets where it's arguably safe, but not on the wider intra internet, sorry, internet, external WAN, internet, where you know they they then have the option if they encounter Java to do something. So this again, so so this 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 is a big step forward for for locking this stuff down. You know, I I think everyone has been trying to avoid involving the user and more pop-ups and more dialogues. We know it's not a perfect solution. We know that, you know, unaware users are going to go, oh, fine, click, okay, okay, I just want, I want to get the page I'm trying to get to. Okay, 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 whatever it takes to just push through those pop-ups. But it, it's, it is a, a worthwhile barrier for us to erect. So it's good that um, that this is finally happening. I, I'm hats off to Oracle. You know, it's they're under tremendous pressure to fix this because it's significant. If you're the producer of software which is responsible for half of all exploits on systems globally, that's not good. And again, unfortunately, they're never going to be able to fix a lot of those because they're never going to get updated. But it's an improvement. <sighs> now, <laughs> you had a question, Leo? Yeah. Well, I'm just, you know, I got this new phone I was showing you before the, the show yeah. uh, began from AT&T. And I've noted they d- did something which I thought is kind of odd. There's a sticker on the back that has uh, the IMEI, the serial number, uh, and the SKU, and, and so forth. Is that a, in any way a security flaw to have on the back of the phone, the IMEI uh, publicly readable? That's the identifier that goes to the phone. I don't think so because okay. you can you can always get that from inside the phone too. I should just take the sticker around. off, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say it's because on most phones, you know, you take out the battery and it's under the battery, but you can't do that on this HTC One. So I guess they put it right on the. But I don't. It shouldn't be in. I, but the bad guy having the IMEI doesn't mean anything, right? And it's not clear. I guess the only time you need it is when you're initially setting up a subscription right. service where the the vendor needs to you know whoever it is AT&T T-Mobile and and whomever needs needs it in order to uh uh I'm take it things. Off. but it's ugly I, I would remove it and i'm yeah. sure that it's available inside by browsing through properties oh, I'm of, sure it is. Yeah. of the phone properties yeah. yeah all right i'll just take it off yeah, yeah it's, thank it's, you it's nice to have your own personal security expert just get rid of it <laughs> waiting of it. in the wings <laughs> well so uh also in the news um, is an interesting new botnet which has been attacking WordPress blogs. It turns out that... Lots of them. Word, yes. Well, uh, 90,000 websites at this point are estimated to have been taken over. And the number is as big as it is because it is worm-like. That is to say that once a WordPress blog is compromised, it begins performing outbound scanning, looking for other WordPress blogs to compromise. Thus, a worm. That's what a worm is. Mm-hmm. So, um, there is a there is a ninety thousand website strong botnet, which has been built simply by carrying around the thousand most common passwords and it tries to log on 
when it finds a WordPress blog on the internet, it starts using those passwords to try to log in. And unfortunately, enough people are using monkey as their password. Hey, you just gave <laughs> mine away. That's not that, nice. That is, or password, or you know, nine 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 nine, or admin, or whatever. That it's just not difficult to to get in. So, I mean, evidence by this because you know you can, to do a brute force across the internet login. I mean, what the first thing that I'm that I'm noting is, wait a minute, no lockout. You so they can you can log in. You can attempt to log in a thousand times to the WordPress administration panel, yeah. and yeah. it doesn't over ever say, no. uh, stop it. No. Well, no. they've updated their authentication, but the older WordPresses, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right well, now. good. Yeah. So it's good that they did. Um, any Anyone running a WordPress blog... Uh, it's funny because I was also doing some research when I was poking around seeing who, what had been written about this. You know, Brian has his blog hosted by WordPress. And he, he said, you know, WordPress blogs is like this one. Uh, we can we know, however, that Brian Krebs has a bizarro password that no one is going to... One would ever, think he'd change not yes. only the password, but the login. Yeah. Because that's the... That, I mean, you leave it as admin. Yeah. You're just making it possible for people to bang on it. But, but Leo, it's nice to be able to remember it. <laughs> I changed oh, mine. Don't bang on my blog. It's already changed. My username. Yeah. Okay, now, when this news broke, this next item, it generated massive traffic. And it may not have been true as, as it was written. Um, and, of course, the register carried it, so... <laughs> Uh, they and they never updated their story with the well maybe we were wrong about this. Um, the story was that a at the Hack in the Box Security Summit recently this is like um, late last week in Amsterdam a security researcher Hugo Tesso who's with the company N dot Runs and he's also a commercial airline pilot. He spent three years buying used air, commercial-grade airplane equipment off of eBay and using flight, sim, flight management software, which, you know, simulation software, which on his PC, which is, is said to involve, to, to reuse the same code as the cockpit instrumentation hardware. And he ended up developing two tools. Uh, he, call, he, he dubbed it Simon, S-I-M-O-N, and that may be an acronym for something, but I didn't run across that. But it runs on, it, it runs on Android in his app called Planesploit. And he demonstrated taking over full control of the in-flight flight systems and pilot's displays to the... That doesn't seem like a good thing. No. Holy cow. He says, it even said, the hacked aircraft... I mean, we're talking about, you know, a Boeing something or other. I mean, the hacked aircraft could even be controlled 
using a smartphone's accelerometer to vary its course and speed by moving the handset around in the air. So not only can That's like you, an RC plane. I was just going to say, not only can you control your quadcopter, you know, four four propeller floating platform, but you can also control the Boeing seven hundred seven that you're riding in wow. at the time. Um, so, um, this the wow. story goes that he looked at the, the uh, and I mean, and Tesso's presentation says he looked at the what's called the automatic dependent surveillance broadcast, which is a ADS hyphen B automatic dependent surveillance broadcast system that updates ground controllers on an aircraft's position over a one megabit per second data link. This has no security at all, he found, Mm. and could be used to at least passively eavesdrop on an aircraft's communications and also actively interrupt broadcasts or feed misinformation. He says, also vulnerable is the Aircraft Communications Addressing and Reporting System, which is the acronym we've seen before, ACARS, A-C-A-R-S, the communication relay used between pilots and ground controllers. Using a Samsung Galaxy handset, he demonstrated how to use ACARS to redirect an aircraft's navigation systems to different map coordinates. And he said, quote, ACARS has no security at all. The airplane has no means of knowing if the messages it receives are valid or not. So they accept them, and you can use them to upload data to the airplane that triggers these vulnerabilities, and then it's game over, unquote. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, The story says that Tesso was also able to use flaws in ACARS to insert code into a virtual aircraft's flight management system by running the code between the aircraft's computer unit and the pilot's display, he was able to take control of what the air crew would be seeing in the cockpit and change the direction, altitude, and speed of the compromised craft. Um, so, after all of that, I mean, this came out with huge, you know, news coverage, just like, oh, my God. So... Then ESA, E-A-S-A, which is the European Aviation Safety Administration, and the U.S. FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, both said that this was done using simulation software, which is the case, and they all deny that this would work on real aircraft. And their official statements, their official statements read like total butt-covering mumbo jumbo i mean when you read what they wrote it's like okay because they're all now actively working with tesso and his enron's security firm to understand what he did and whether in fact they are or not vulnerable but it wouldn't be at all surprising to me unfortunately if what we're dealing with are pre-security conscious protocols 
that were designed 20 years ago and we're still using them and we have never retrofitted them because nobody wants to do what they don't have to do. And I, so my my own take looking at all the news is that he found something and that they're running around fran- frantic. They're denying it because they have to officially to to. Oh, and by the way, he he deliberately did not disclose all of the details. He demonstrated what he had done and what he could. But being a responsible researcher, he didn't, you know, publish the source code for everyone to go and see if they can, you know, load plain sploit into their own Samsung Galaxy phones and, you know, because they're not happy at the air to, about the airport they're going to be landing at. Um, so, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's go somewhere else. <laughs> what yeah. do you say? It looks like bad traffic on the freeway wow. outside of that airport. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if there is crappy security on this stuff, because unless you have to do it, we've we've had these systems now, the, these avionics systems for decades, and why would they have bothered? If you you have to upgrade everything, Leo, it isn't that a problem because you know it costs money, right? And if you you won't do it unless you have to. One of the things that has arisen from my talking about SSL Labs which is that company that I've mentioned that allows you to check the security being offered by many websites is it's I've heard, I've had a lot of feedback from people saying, Oh my God, I can't believe how insecure my bank is. So, you know, again, it's, it's that if, unless people are forced to fix these things, they don't fix them. And I mean, and, and look at how, how many stories have we covered that have exactly that as the key I mean, as the underlying problem is that, oh, well, yeah, but it wasn't patched. Oh, okay, well, you know, or, or, or it used weak security. So they were able to get in. Uh, right. So, um, and I just wanted to give a tip of the hat to a browser we rarely talk about. And it's unfortunate. And that's Opera. Opera's been around for years. Uh, we've talked about Opera Mini a couple times. Um, in various contexts, but I had an occasion to be using it because because uh, I've been doing a lot of work with certificate stuff recently. And in fact, I have a whole new breakthrough in verifying server certificate technology, like the, you know, sort of a next generation beyond the fingerprints concept, um, which is a, in response to confusion that the fingerprinting was caused by, by servers like like Google and Amazon where they've got their huge global networks and don't always return the same certificate. So um, I've removed Amazon, for example, from my list of default servers that we generate fingerprints for and expanded a section at the bottom of the page explaining why you could get false positive mismatches. But in the meantime, I've completely solved that problem. <laughs> so I have something new soon. Um, but in the process, I needed uh, we were we were looking at public keys that certificates used. Firefox shows theirs, but IE showed a different one. And the problem is that Chrome reuses Internet Explorer's certificate management, so it was also showing something different than Firefox. And I was trying to, you know, 
filter through the noise, figure out what was going on. And I thought, well, I wonder what about opera. So I fired up opera that, you know, had been languishing for years. And it's very nice. And in fact, um, I wrote the numbers. <laughs> I don't have them in front awesome. of me. But Chrome, Chrome now takes about 250 megabytes. When I launched Chrome with like just www.google.com as a one one tab i'll watch memory drop by 250 megs it is a it has become a bloated pig it is ridiculous a quarter gig of ram for a browser to show me a page with nothing on it that's obscene and by comparison opera is 50 so one fifth the ram consumption of Chrome, Chrome, man, and it's. I I, I love Chrome. It's I, I know you do, Leo. I'm still using Firefox, and we've because I'm we we watch Firefox so closely. We've watched them fight memory consumption. I mean, it is it's so easy for these things just to grow and grow and grow as they add technology, and it's difficult to keep that footprint down. Yet here's Opera, very quiet in the background and actually more secure than any of the others um i think i probably need to explain that in a future podcast but as i've been as, as i've been learning in the last couple of weeks opera have been taking proactive measures that nobody else has been taking for example we talked about the problem with um the 40 bit encryption and why we were Web servers have moved 40-bit encryption to the top of the list because the cipher block chaining has been found to be susceptible to the so-called BEAST attack, B-E-A-S-T. And But the problem with 40-bit encryption was, as we covered not long ago, that it uses a stream cipher, which is why it's not subject to the BEAST attack. But the problem is that it uses the RC4 cipher that now had been further statistically analyzed. And remember that there was a chance if you somehow could induce your browser to like be doing something in the background with a tab you weren't looking at, generating a lot of traffic, it would be possible to de decrypt the beginning of the browser headers, which contains the session cookie, and that would allow a hijacking attack. Well, um, Opera fixed this a long time ago. They proactively generate... put they They... They deliberately don't allow their browser to produce the same content at the front of each query. So it's been immune to this forever. Nobody really knows about it. I had to go digging around. It's like, what? Wow, that's very impressive. So anyway, I'm, I'm impressed with it. Um, and boy, it's, it's really nice to have it, you know, launch so quickly and not chew up a quarter gig of RAM just you know, showing one page. So now, one thing that's interesting they have announced—I don't think it's happened yet—that they're moving to WebKit. They're going to use a different uh, engine on Opera. I don't think they're doing that yet, though. So all—all all it's the same engine that Chrome's based on. So all of your love, maybe. Well, maybe. and that actually—that that, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. You're right. Doesn't that mean they'd be bloated and because you know Chrome does other stuff. It probably demonstrates that how difficult it is to maintain a completely separate state-of-the-art web 
page rendering facility. I mean, this is hard. Yeah. I mean, it is. Look, I mean, you know, basically, we're moving the OS into our browser. We're giving, you know, with, with the advent of HTML5, incredible levels of capabilities in our browser. And, and, you know, for example, you know, the need for plugins is arguably going away. JavaScript is becoming, you know, very fast execution environment. We no longer need Flash in order to play movies. Now browsers can render video uh, and, and audio files natively and on and on and on. And, you know, and, and like, and, you know, really nice animation stuff like I was I um, uh, created early last year uh, in JavaScript. So and this is a perfect segue into something with, where I just kind of winced. The news was Adobe says it will contribute to Google's Blink browser engine. And I just thought, oh, please don't. Don't contribute. No, thank you. Please. Thank Adobe. you, Adobe. No, no thank you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm going to bring you one of my famous squirrel pies. <laughs> no, thank you. We've made these for years. They're well-beloved. You know, Chrome now, does have Flash built in. You know, that's one of the things that, uh, which I suspect adds to the bloat that Google well, does. Well, in fairness to Adobe, they have been participating in WebKit development, and they've been yeah. a useful contributor. I'm sure they'll be to, fine. To the project. So, you know, so yeah, this Adobe fine. Blink, the fork that uh, Adobe's doing, I'm told by the chat room, Opera is also Google, adopting. Google, Google Blink. Google. Yes. And so this is so uh, Adobe will help with Google Blink and apparently Opera is going to use Blink. I think it must have been Opera. I remembered that there was yeah. another browser yeah. that said we're going to follow Blink also. Yeah. So that would make sense. It'll be interesting to see what happens when Opera adopts Blink whether, you know, how that changes uh, what what everything I just said about Opera. Right. Uh you know, to make it more uh, Chrome-like. One anyway, of the things I, about I, Blink, one of the reasons Google says they went to Blink is because uh, WebKit has support for all sorts of stuff that you don't need to support, you know, different hardware platforms, different processors, uh, because it's an open-source project. Uh, and they can eliminate... So they'd, be able to, they'd pare it down. They said something like 15 million lines of code. Ooh, so it might, it. it might actually help your bloat. Yay, yeah. that, that would be really yeah. good. It's just, boy, it's gotten big. Um, we just as we were talking last week, we were discussing the collapse that was occurring as we were talking in Bitcoin value. Yeah. Plummet. Uh, it was at ninety dollars this morning when I checked to in order to update my notes. Um, I tweeted a really nice article. Gizmodo produced a a terrifically accurate, which I don't often say, but because, I mean, it's difficult to be terrifically accurate. This was, um, and this is gizmodo.com. You might want to bring the page up, Leo. Sure. G-I-Z-M-O-D-O dot com slash 599-4446. And to any listeners, um, so it's gizmodo.com 599-4446. All right. It's just a nice page that explains what's happened in hardware. And tons, well, not tons, but seven or eight, uh, (laughs) really nice pictures of crazy mining farms 
like the 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 top of the 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 image at the top of the page you can click on that in order to get an enlargement and it shows i don't know i didn't count them but this vast array of little things little boards all cabled into some bizarre kvm octopod um i mean like you know a hundred or so individual little things all cranking away trying to solve hashes um so I just I wanted to to recommend this article in Gizmodo, uh, gizmodo.com slash five nine nine four 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 six. It's a great piece. And shortly after we were talking about this, Leo, Mt. Gox shut down Bitcoin trading for twelve hours, just in order to like. Well, stop. didn't they have a security issue? Wasn't that what pr- prompted the plummet? Uh, no, in 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 this, I mean, they have had some, but in this case, it was following the value collapse in bitcoin they just said okay wait you know we're gonna like the market here. does you know they just yes ex- exactly and mount mount gox is for 70 of all trades go through them so i mean yeah. they're they're the big guy right now uh my this is my last mention my of my weekly mentioning of the schmooze box, you, which both you and I are schmooze. They're oversubscribed. They've done very well. By more than 50%. Yay. Yes. They, when I looked, they had $33,000. They were looking for 20. Um, and they've got, we got only 40, what, 46 or 45 hours left. So just shy of two days left. Then this shuts down. I'm, I'm almost wanting another one for home. But, and I'll, I definitely will have one at the GRC servers to to have, do all kinds of fun things with. But I, I, since I know Mark, I'm sure I can get another one. So that'll work. But uh, anyway, uh, they they are oversubscribed by more than half. And uh, uh, we're all going to get some smoosh boxes, whether we like what they're called or not. You can call yours anything you want. Smush. Okay, now this, <laughs> smush this, is, this, this is the best thing. This is just funny. This is wonderful. The acronym... Is and you may want to bring it up that the URL that you can see right there in my show notes, Leo. The the acronym is completely ridiculous and phony captcha that hassles for amusement. C R A P C H A. In other words, crapcha. <laughs> so crapcha.com presents you with some really pretty funny captchas. And for all of us who have been faced with these things where we're like it, we're looking at it going, okay, you know, I am definitely human. I, I checked recently and I cannot type that in. I'm sorry. I don't know if that's a one or lowercase L cause it's smushed in against the, the <laughs> these are not intended to be entered by any human. Oh obviously. no, there yeah. you can't enter them. They're yeah. just wonderful though. It's just yeah. somebody who said, okay, let's have some fun with this. So we will create the Crapcha, uh, C-R-A-P-C-H-A dot com. Everyone should just go take a look when you get a chance because so. it's, I mean, it's like, it's very reminiscent of things we've seen. And you look at it going, okay, just give me another one. <laughs> I'm not even going to try that. <laughs> um, coincident with today's, <laughs> I know, they're, they're great. I hate captures, and we already have established they do what is nothing. That thing? Is it like a flying saucer? It's a smudge. It's a smudge. <laughs> it's a smudge. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, someday, someday we'll be looking back on episode eight hundred. We'll look. We'll, we'll be looking back and going, yeah. Remember when we were talking about that? 
I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put this on my web page because you can they give you embed codes, so you yes. can put this in your web page. Yeah, it's wonderful. How do I t- how do I type that? What? What is that? Uh, <laughs> is that a fish a fish bone? What is that? <laughs> Uh, uh, shoot. Oh, so, um, uh, our friend Mr. Wizard has updated his animations, also meant to correspond with today's topic on VPNs. He's fleshed out his coverage of, of our original episode 14. Now, remember, these are animations, you know, computer animations to go along with the podcast. So, the, the multi-animation series he has for episode 14 and also for episode 17 which covers the point-to-point tunneling protocol which i'll be talking about here in a minute uh pptp uh and also ipsec uh ip security vpns so i wanted to give people a pointer to that remember that's uh, askmrwizard.com is his site and okay now leo you haven't seen this and, and i'm I'm reluctant to take the time to embed this in the podcast, but I really want to. This is Ellen DeGeneres, who did something just brilliant last week. Um, Oh, no, wait, this week. It might have been Monday. Um, It's on her own YouTube channel, on Ellen's YouTube channel, and it is extremely funny. And it's about passwords. I was looking around through the channels and I saw this. I I really love infomercials. I don't know if you love them as much as I do, but I found one. It's a new product that I want to share with you. And, uh, you know, if you have a hard time remembering your online passwords, a lot of people have a lot of different passwords. This is going to solve your problems. Online passwords. There's just too many. And who can remember all those tricky combinations? So you stick them on your monitor or you hide them in a drawer. But not anymore. Introducing Password Minder, the personal logbook that takes the hassle out of passwords. Forget about sticky notes or scraps of paper, because Password Minder has been specifically designed to organize and safely store passwords. You'll find them in an instant and never lose a password again. It's like a notebook. All it is is an address. Your Password Minder, the alphabetical listing organizes all your usernames and passwords. My mom uses something a little less organized than this. Anymore about security or identity theft. I now have all my passwords in one place. It's great. If you have passwords, you need Password Minder. So call now and get your very own Password Minder book for just $10. That's real. That's real? That's yeah. real? But wait, no, keep going, Leo. Wait, you're telling me I can keep all my passwords in one place? In this right here, and it's only $10? For half the price, you could write all your passwords on a $5 bill. (laughs) This is insane. Does this seem safe to keep all your passwords in one place? In a place that's labeled Internet Password? (laughs) (laughs) Here, it's raining. I haven't even thought this through fully. I mean, what if someone gets their hands on your password minder? So I came up with this. It is Ellen's Internet Password Minder Protector. And what you do... (laughs) Yeah. You put it in here. You lock it. Actually, that's not so bad. You close it. And then it has a built-in combination lock right there. You see on the side? And I know you're thinking, Ellen, what if I forget my combination? Well, (laughs) if you order now, I will include this. 
You can put it in there. It's the internet it's password, password minder. Protector minder. Protector minder. <laughs> a little book to put your code one in. One place to keep your password minder protector combination. And I have one more special offer. If you don't feel like writing down your passwords, send them to me. And for $10, I'll write them down for you. Don't worry about sending me your credit card information. I'll figure it out. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you believe Oh, that's pretty good. I love it. I love it. You know, so I, anyway. I've been doing that with my mom today, this morning. Uh, she has all of her passwords uh, in a document on her desktop called passwords.doc. And... Uh, <laughs> On her computer. Uh, and by the way, your mom is so sweet, Leo. I saw her sitting in She's your studio last wonderful. week. So what we've yes. been doing, and it's it's an interesting experiment. Uh, I installed LastPass on her computer. And we're going to put it on ah. her phone and her uh, iPad as well. And uh, I said, okay, now you only have to remember one password from now on, Mom. But you do have to remember this one. She starts to write it down. I said, No. <laughs> You have to remember this one, and everything else will, will be safe. So she starts, so I said, we're so we came up with a process, a mnemonic process, that she can recreate ah. her password each time. I won't go into details about it. Yeah, because your name is not long enough for her to use yeah. as her password. Oh, you no. don't even want to know what she uses. It's a dictionary word. Ah. That's the pa- well, well, I mean, that's the password to protect your computer. And then on the computer, there's passwords.doc, so... It's not so. It's not so secure. Anyway, we're putting it. We're putting them all the passwords in there, and then one by one, slowly over time, she's going to go to her websites. Uh, we change the bank password, change the passwords uh, to something generated by Good. LastPass, something long. Good. Her bank will not will only allow oh. letters and numbers less than fifteen. Uh. But uh, so we did that. But uh, everywhere else, I said check. Make sure you have letters, numbers, upper and lower, special characters. And let's make everything 16, because why not? And make it 16 characters, because you, you don't have to remember it. So let's make it nice and long. So uh, it's been nice. a, it's, it'll be a little process, and I'll be getting a few phone calls. And, of course, I put her LastPass password in my LastPass. So I and no, ah, no, so no, you can recover. So you I can be get, her password can, recovery. Yeah, I'm her password minder minder. <laughs> <laughs> so any of our listeners, I really... That was funny. You, 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 you ought to see it. Uh, I did just tweet it recently, so you can find the YouTube link. Uh, I would imagine you could just go to YouTube and put Ellen's password minder. Password oh, yeah. It's minder. on her website. If you go to Ellen's website, you can see it. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, it's a great piece. It's awesome. Awesome, awesome. And I had a nice, speaking of great pieces, uh, a note from a, a listener of ours, Stephen Adams, um, who sent, Steve, I just wanted to say, wow, I've been a Mac user exclusively for better than 10 years and have not had access to any Windows machines in at least that time, only Mac and Linux. Wow. When I heard on the podcast that it was possible to use VirtualBox to run Spinrite, I was very excited. I've been extremely busy but sat down this morning to make it work. And it did. Amazing. Spinrite is now running on my Ma- on my iMac and he says, parens 2011, so it's a recent one, in a virtual machine booted from an external drive. I don't expect it to find anything, but you never know. And certainly, as has been testified to so many times, running it for maintenance purposes is always worthwhile. Great job. Thanks a bunch from a faithful listener since episode number one. That would be 400 episodes. 
Signed, Stephen. So thank you, Stephen, for, nice. for sharing your VirtualBox success on a Mac. Oh, well, that, that's actually happening a lot now. People have, have picked up on that and, uh, and are playing with it on their Mac, which is cool. So uh, when we um, talked to this new advertiser, ProXPN, when we said to them, uh, well, we, uh, I love the idea. We've talked about VPNs before, virtual private networks, but we've got to get Mr. Gibson to approve it. We gave it to you to uh, take a look at it. ProXPN.com uh, slash twit is the URL for our special offer. And um, you said okay, yes? Yes. Um, it's a user open VPN, right? Uh, yes. They, they're they're based in the Netherlands. Oh, um, wow, I didn't they, know that. Yep. They uh, clearly, in my opinion, have their parts in the right place. They they look like they are here for offering what 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 VPN users want, which is is someone who can terminate their VPN connections somewhere um and be both global and and op- and often local uh and trustworthy. So they have server lo- uh, locations in Dallas, Los Angeles, Seattle, and New York um, in the U.S. So what? The, the southeast, the, the west, the northwest, and the south and, and the northeast. So pretty much good coverage of, of the U.S. Um, and that's important, as we'll be talking about here in a minute, um, because... When you have a VPN connection, it needs to go somewhere. And some VPNs are used, for example, to straddle corporate offices and satellite offices in order to allow sort of entire remote networks to participate as if they were all in the same network, even though they're, they're, the traffic is actually bouncing around routers on the Internet. Um, so you, so there is the 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 network straddling aspect, but the other application, the the typical end user application, the one I have been interested in is where you're somewhere unsafe. You're in a hotel, you're in a, in a Starbucks with a famously open Wi-Fi, And we know that the term open is <laughs> really, it, it, it's, it's both a good news and bad news because none of your traffic is encrypted in the air there. So what you need is you need a VPN to, protect that jump where your traffic is exposed but it needs to connect to somewhere so the idea is that you could use something like uh, a pro vpn and i've looked around remember we talked long time ago about hotspot vpn um and and uh and there's been some coverage of this stuff but um i looked and i like these guys honestly better than anybody I've seen. Outside the U.S., they've got uh, locations in London, Amsterdam, and Singapore. And, and they're, they're deliberately about the notion that people need privacy because, you know, they're, I mean, as a VPN provider, that's what they're going to be about. Um, and, you know, uh, avoid censorship, avoid filtering, avoid, you know, that, you know, any kind of of exposure to your connection. Um, they offer a free service, which is capped at 300 K bits, 
So it's a bandwidth cap, but it's free for life. Wow. Um, That's really good. I mean, and 300 kilobits is enough for when you're at the coffee house and you want to check your email or you want to do some browsing. It's not enough for streaming. But it's enough for basic internet access. Yeah, That's well, great. and I like it too because it, yeah, it it allow and clearly this is meant to be a loss leader. It's it's to like to, to yeah, get people to in for the full version to get right? people into the fold. Now, if you do the free service, that's open VPN only, meaning that specifically, so it's so it's both bandwidth capped and only the open VPN support. When you when you subscribe to their service. Which they show it as six twenty five, I think it is, or yeah, six twenty five a month, and that's seventy five dollars a year. But apparently, you can get it on on like on a month to month basis. So like six twenty five, uh, and they don't. They often they they support both credit card and PayPal. So they do allow you to use PayPal to to keep your credit information safe. And for for first time signers. They offer a seven-day money-back guarantee, so you can you can sign up. You could use it. You could sign up through PayPal um, and try them for a week, and just say after a week, contact them and say, you know, this isn't what I expected, or I just wanted to see what it was about. I really didn't want to go any further. Please, you know, p- please refund my six twenty-five, and they'll do so. Um, they've. Uh, you know the I'll I'll be talking a lot here in a minute about OpenVPN itself. It happens to be what I'm using. I'm I have OpenVPN clients installed on all my laptops, and I run OpenVPN servers both at my home network and at in the GRC network. I mean it it is that secure. It is that safe. I have OpenVPN servers running, um, protected by certificates. Um, and and so I mean I'm confident in in it being safe. Well, let me do the so, ad and then uh, yes. thank you for the uh, checking it out. Um, so it is it's a global VPN, which is nice. Works with almost any internet connection. Uh, you're getting a secure encrypted tunnel through which all of your online traffic passes back and forth. You notice that it's using a 2048 bit encryption key, and the tunnel itself is 512 bits. Yep, which is adequate, right? Yep, okay. it's actually way it's way more it's than way adequate. more than adequate. Yeah. Um, uh, any online application, including your web browser, your email, your file sharing, basically everything, instant messaging is all going through that encrypted tunnel. So everything you're doing while you're using ProXPN is hidden, even disguising your physical lo- physical location uh, as it passes to their servers. Uh, they do offer for the paid version PPTP as well if you need to use that. So, you know, I mean, there are lots of reasons you might want to use this. You don't have to worry about your ISP's six strikes rule. You can eliminate uh, any concerns about filtering, blocked websites, bypass geographic restrictions. They have Tor support also. Tor support. Software for Windows and Mac with uh, gives you more advanced control. For instance, you can select the programs and ports you want to route through ProXPN. But it also works with iOS, Android. There's no app required for that. Uh, world-class support. So here's the deal. We're going to give you 20% off. Ooh. So you get the free, you can do the free version up to 300 kilobits. But if you want to do the, the paid version, go to proxpn.com slash twit. Proxpn.com slash twit. As you mentioned, normally $75 for an entire year for the pro version. If you go month to month, it's 10 bucks. 
months to months, nine ninety five a month. But our mm. special offer will save you twenty percent off the lifetime of your account forever, not the first year, wow. forever. It's SN twenty. So at that point, using the yearly plan, you're talking five bucks, less than five bucks a month. And of course, you cancel within seven days, as you mentioned, for a full refund. So twenty percent off for life. ProXPN.com slash twit. But you have to sign up for the premium account and use the code SN20. I'm going to sign up right now because that's half what I'm paying for my current uh, VPN solution. And, of course, again, while they are a Dutch company, they have servers all over the world, including the U.S., and you can choose that. Um, Okay, so a couple clarifications. Um, In fact, uh, we'll just start talking about VPN stuff now. Good. I'll take Um, down the lower third, and you may go. (laughs) The... um, the PPTP protocol is not open VPN. So there's right. two that they offer. The you you only have access to open VPN for their free service. The reason the paid service gives you both is that what you really want for mobile, unless you happen to have an open VPN client in your mobile phone, but people don't right now, but iOS supports PPTP VPN natively, as does Android. So, so oh, what, so that's so, why they offer it. Yes, I get it. So, exactly. So, so you you sign up and you get unlimited bandwidth globally for both protocols. Open VPN, which you would install and use on any Mac or or laptop, or even on your home machine. I mean, if you wanted to do stuff that your ISP couldn't see, that nobody could see, where suddenly your location was no longer where you are, but whatever server you have chosen to use, you can install this on your on your regular desktop system at home and VPN all of your network use um, through ProXPN. Um, and at the same time, when you are at Starbucks with your iPad or your iPhone, where where you're using their Wi-Fi connection, which is not secure, um, you just you, you you can go right into the um, iOS control panel. Uh, there is built-in support. There's like VPN, and you choose one of three types. PPTP is the middle type. Um, put in your username and password, and you're connected through their you know through through your your mobile device with no additional client needed. And so that's why that's so very cool. Now, okay, so let's see. Um, the As I was saying before, the, the whole concept is, is one of tunneling. And uh, I would recommend, if any of these terms that I use are foreign to people, um, we really... Back at the dawn of this podcast, episodes 14 through 19 covered this technology very carefully. But the idea is that you can, um, you can establish a connection between endpoints, that is between you and somewhere else, or also, as I mentioned, between two complete networks with multiple systems – you, you establish a connection. And then in the same way that our browser uses SSL to encrypt the data which is flowing through that connection, 
including the use of certificates, which provide strong authentication that you are, that someone connecting to you actually is who they say they are. Um, you establish a an encrypted channel, and then the the regular network traffic is pushed through this tunnel, so that so that the world can see pseudo random noise passing, you know, through the air if it's Wi-Fi or out of your cable modem and through your ISP. It, it's exactly as if you had a secure connection to a remote website over SSL. But in this case, the the link is using encryption, yet all of the network traffic, whether it's encrypted or not, is encrypted. And so that's the key. Non-encrypted network traffic, like email, which is, is often not encrypted. Also, your DNS use. Remember that, that when you... Even though you may be going to websites which are SSL, you are often making queries to DNS, and DNS is not encrypted. It uses UDP protocol, and so anyone monitoring your use of DNS is able to see which, which domains your computer is looking up. And that's why this notion of all of your network traffic being funneled is, is crucial, because that means that... When your computer looks up DNS, that query goes out through the encrypted tunnel to the other end, comes out, goes and finds a DNS server, gets the answer, and sends it back to the encrypted tunnel so that essentially you just completely go dark relative to any external network traffic that, that your computer may have. So, so there are there have been many VPN technologies that have been developed over time because this concept of of creating a secure tunnel is sort of it's fundamental to to the it's like a fundamental technology of what we could do once we have a public network and we're saying well it's nice that we have a public network look how amazing it is but for example a corporation might want to have satellite offices and rather than 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 having their their traffic insecurely go across the internet, they might want to essentially graft their satellite offices onto the main on, onto the main corporate network. So so a a VPN connection between a, a VPN server in in the corporate environment and a remote satellite office essentially gives Everyone in that remote network IP addresses on the corporate network. So think about that again. So it's it's not like you have separate IPs. You're actually grafting all of the network traffic across the internet as if as if you were plugging into a to a a, a router or a hub at at the corporate headquarters. And so, um, similarly, when when you bring up a a VPN link, your computer's IP address changes to an IP that is assigned to it by the other end of the link. So it may be that they are using, for example, ten dot 
network IPs um, so that, for example, whatever, you know, you, you were one, uh, 192.168. something something. you bring up this VPN tunnel and you will find that you're, you, you, are, you have a virtual interface on your computer which, is, which allows traffic to, to be routed to it. And it may have an IP, you know, 10 dot something. Or, um, you know, they may well be uh, slicing off IPs from, from, from their own publicly routed um, IP uh, allocation. So, so the, the, the notion of an encrypted tunnel can be, you know, that's sort of basic foundation. We've we talked in the past about point-to-point tunneling protocol, which is the it's the one which has succeeded sort of at at the corporate level. You can get um Cisco routers will support point-to-point tunneling protocol as as their native one. So for example, if you wanted to create your own VPN and could configure a Cisco router, you could set it up so that so that it supports incoming point-to-point tunneling protocol connections. The problem with using PPTP is that it is possible for people who wish to block the use of VPN connections to readily do so because PPTP uses well-known ports that aren't like, you know, web traffic or email traffic. Um, and that's also the case with another common and 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 supported by Windows mostly L2TP um, is a layer two tunneling protocol. Another one offered by Windows, but but um, but not as common and popular as as point to point tunneling protocol. If um, the so so you're you're out and about and in a roaming mode. Um, you have a couple choices. One would be that you connect to a service provider, an open VPN service provider using open VPN. Um, and, but a, a yet another possibility or something that gives you some additional flexibility is it's now possible to, um, to use open VPN servers that are built into any of the um, firmware that can be flashed into consumer routers. The most popular OpenVPN solution uh, uses DDWRT as its firmware, um, and the, the Linksys Cisco E4200 version 1 router is the one that, that most people are really comfortable with uh, using DDWRT. Over on... Um, the uh, 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 tomato side, the tomato firmware, Asus has a router. The RTN66U uh, uses the tomato uh, uh, firmware, and, and people are liking that best for, for uh, OpenVPN. So the idea there would be that if you're using DDWRT or tomato, on one of the routers that supports it, and that, and you've got it um, set up and compiled with OpenVPN, then your router itself is a server offering OpenVPN connections from the public internet. 
So, so you have a choice of, for example, if you're out roaming around, you could use uh, if a VPN service like ProXPN when you want access, anonymous access to the world. But then you also have the, the, the flexibility with the same open VPN client to connect securely to home and then your system, wherever you are, becomes a, an extension of your home network. You are on your home network. You get a 192.168 you know, home IP and you have it's like your computer were plugged into your hub and with complete security. So, for example, you could connect to there and print something on your home network printer. Or if you if you've got um, file sharing and a bunch of shared directories, or you've got your your NAS, your net, your network attached storage box there at home, all of those resources become available to you using an open VPN client on a on a system that supports it and an open VPN endpoint server um, in um, specific router firmware that has been flashed. There, there are routers you can get now um, that are pre-flashed um, with um, the, the DDWRT and the Tomato firmware so that you're able to use them without you know, going through the, the flashing process if you're not comfortable doing that yourself. But um, what we've seen is we, we've seen over the last eight years that this, the, the open VPN technology has continued to mature um, and, and become extremely stable. Um, I mean, it's, as I said earlier, it's the, the VPN solution I have chosen and I am, and am using. I don't roam often away from home, uh, but for example, all the times that I've been up uh, doing the podcast from from Leo's place, I've been able to check in. And a couple of times, I've had some server issues while I was out roaming, and I had to, you know, connect into my network at level three and and be there as an admin. And so, OpenVPN was the way I did it. We'll be back with more Steve in just a bit. But first, a word from Rackspace, the big. Uh OpenStack conference going on right now. Everybody's talking about OpenStack. Rackspace helped bring it to the world. They co-founded OpenStack. They run the world's largest open cloud. They are the best, whether you're looking to host a website, database, your app. Rackspace is amazing. They're fanatical support. And you know what's great about Rackspace? They're open. They're open. You don't want to go to a company that's offering proprietary solutions because that's lock-in. You want to be able to move around. You want to use open source, open standards. You want to be able to run your OpenStack cloud anywhere at Rackspace or somewhere else, public or private, on premise even. You want to try it, you can go to rackspace.com slash open and download the open cloud now. It is truly a great company and I love their support of open, open software uh, and, and freedom in the sense of your freedom move around. Rackspace is amazing. Take a look. Rackspace.com slash open. And check out the OpenStack right now. We, we really want to thank Rackspace for their continued support of the Twit Network and especially security now. Nice job, Rackspace. Sorry, Steve. Didn't mean to interrupt. Let's get back to talking about VPNs. So um, that's the whole story, Leo, about uh, where we are 
these days with VPNs and, you know, all the many options which are open to people, uh, both using OpenVPN and PPTP. Um, we've got a Q&A episode next, next week. Next week, great. And so I would encourage our listeners who are interested, who may have been like waiting for the right VPN service to come along, from everything I've seen, uh, ProXPN looks like, you know, like the right solution. And, you know, me, I would not be saying this unless I had checked them out and believed it. I see no downsides. But if uh, anyone has questions or feedback or experiences, uh, you know, grc.com slash feedback. Um, and maybe we can talk about them next week. Excellent. When you're at grc.com, make sure you check out, of course, all the great stuff Steve gives away, including Shields Up. And uh, don't forget, of course, to uh, buy a copy of Spin Right right now. Make a yabba dabba do. Yeah. <laughs> Episode 400. Congratulations, Steve. That's fantastic. By the way, we do this show every uh, Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, 1800 UTC on twit.tv. Watch live. You'll see some interesting things you won't see in the edited version. <laughs> and, 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 of course, if you can't watch live, you can download a copy uh, anytime, twit.tv slash SN, or get those uh, 16 kilobit audio versions Steve makes available, plus pure text transcriptions, the smallest version of Security Now, on his website, grc.com. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Leo. Great to be with you, as always, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Take care. Happy 400th. Yeah, thanks. I'll send you a Cohiba. Security. <laughs>